Good morning. Today, we're going to consider really what it means to be a rescuer. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I was um, a little fascinated by rescues. I think uh, growing up, I watched a show called Rescue 911 almost every week. So I spent a little time this week uh, looking up, you know, what were the greatest rescues ever done in history? Now, which one is debatable, but I found one video on YouTube that I thought was a pretty dramatic rescue. And I'd just like to show that so we can see an example of a rescue at work. Luke, if you roll. And we turn the sound off because there's some language in the background that um, not so good to hear. So the audio is off on this, but the video speaks for itself. Now, praise the Lord. In fact, that man, after he was rescued, said, thank you, Jesus. But, um, yeah, that was taken a few years ago. It happened in Texas. This man, you can see, he barely got out of there alive. That building was going down right next to him while he was on it. Now, I have to say, I have a very healthy respect for what people do on a daily basis who are rescuers, like policemen, like firefighters, like paramedics, like lifeguards. And it's something that I personally feel myself, that's not something I'm cut out for. Like just being at that kind of height that that firefighter had to be, that would have been scary enough for me. And you know, one I looked up um, some job descriptions of a rescuer. This is a, a description of a lifeguard I read. You must always be prepared to enter the water to make a rescue when you're on duty. When someone needs help, you must assess the victim's condition, perform an appropriate rescue, move the victim to safety, and provide additional care as needed. And yet, though, you know, most of us here have not been in that position where we have to physically rescue someone. Well, I'm going to tell you today, if you're a believer in the Lord, you have been appointed a position as a rescuer. In fact, all of us here who are believers, we were given a mission about 2,000 years ago. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is the Lord speaking to his disciples after he was resurrected. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And similarly, you see in Matthew chapter 28, this is verse, verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Your mission as a believer is to share the gospel with every creature, with every person, and make disciples. And it really is a rescue mission. In fact, it's more of a rescue mission than what we just witnessed. Now, the Bible is very clear on what happens to someone who does not believe the gospel. It says they're going to hell. Any person I know who is unsaved, they're going to hell for all eternity. It says that the Lord is going to punish with everlasting destruction those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. The Lord has put you 
in the position as a rescuer in the lives of the people that you're close to, to share the gospel with them. Now, there's a lot of people in the world that need saving. I looked up, you know, I just looked up out of curiosity, what's the population of the world right now? Right now, the world has a little over seven and a quarter billion people in it. About 32% of that would say that they're Christian. But probably the real number of true believers in that 32% is a lot less. So there are literally billions of people going to hell unless they hear the gospel. Now, many of us have heard the verses I mentioned before. Many of us know what the Great Commission is. But how do I go about completing that mission? Once I leave those doors right there and leave the chapel and go back to my home, go back to my workplace, go back to my neighborhood, how do I go about completing this mission and sharing the gospel with my unsaved neighbors, with my unsaved family, with my unsaved coworkers? Well, in a physical rescue, just like I showed, you have to get close to somebody. Now, that firefighter, if he was down on the ground, he would have been no help with that person on the top floor of the burning apartment. Now, just looking at a medical emergency, let's say someone is walking in the middle of the street and they have a heart attack and collapse. Well, a paramedic 100 yards away is not going to do that man any good. If a paramedic wants to help that person on the ground, he has to get up close and personal. He has to get his hands on the person to be able to do CPR on the person who just had a heart attack. And in the spiritual world, it's that way too. If I want to be able to share the gospel with someone, to be a spiritual rescuer, I have to get nice, close, and personal with someone. I have to be someone that the person in need of rescue, that they, can, they know they can trust me, that they're comfortable talking to me. Really, to put yourself in the ideal position to share the gospel with somebody, you have to, you have to be a good friend to them. Now, it is possible for someone to be saved, I could say, from a distance. People can get saved by hearing the gospel from people they really don't know very well. I've heard stories of people being saved from reading a tract, from listening to an online sermon. But it's probably a lot more the exception than the rule. The fact is, we live today in an age where people are very suspicious of strangers and people they don't know. Nowadays, if people are coming to your door, we're suspicious that you know, they might be some solicitor, they might be a scammer. So how do you, how do you get to be friends with someone in order to share the gospel with them. It's actually very simple. You have to be friendly. There's a good proverb. It's, uh, I'll just read it. You don't have to show the verse. It's Proverbs 18.24. It says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Or as one commentary I read paraphrased it, if you want to have friends, you have to be a friend. Now, there are, like I said, many people outside this church building who need to be saved. There's actually a lot of lonely people out there. You'd be surprised. A lot of these people out there, they need friends. 
and there's a lot of way of making friends. Now, we live in a culture today where we're actually, in a way, very isolated. We, we see people day to day, but we don't really have a lot of in-depth interaction with them. Now, I realize this um, in my neighborhood I live in, just one block away in Union City. I can go months and months without seeing one of my neighbors. In fact, I, I think I could probably go a year without seeing some of my neighbors unless I really made the effort to go out and meet them. Now, something in our workplaces, you know, I might be spending eight hours a day working alongside someone, but I'm so busy doing my work that I really don't know them very well. So I'm going to give you a little revolutionary thought. It doesn't have to be that way. A lot of times, you know, when we think about inviting people over to our home, we think about inviting our close friends and family, people we don't know already. But, you know, you can try inviting a neighbor over or a coworker, or even someone from your gym class. I think all of us remember, you know, as we get closer and closer to people, as they get more comfortable with us and we get more comfortable with them, you can talk about more personal things and you can get into spiritual things. And you know, we see this precedent in Scripture. We see that the Lord in the Scripture oftentimes used family connections and friendships in sharing the gospel. Now, just in um, uh, the first uh, chapter of John, we see um, Andrew... He introduces his brother Peter to the Lord Jesus. And the fact is, I think Andrew and Peter had a good relationship as brothers. Otherwise, Peter would not have come with him. We see um, someone like Philip and Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel, remember, was very um, doubtful about anyone coming from Nazareth. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? But I think Philip and Nathaniel must have been good friends because as doubtful as Nathaniel is, Nathaniel comes with Philip to meet the Lord Jesus. Or we see someone like Matthew the tax collector. When the Lord calls him to follow him, Matthew is so excited that his first thought is to call all his friends, all his fellow tax collectors to meet the Lord. Now, the Lord likes to use friendships to share the gospel from to meet new people. So now you've gotten close to someone as a friend, close enough to talk to them about personal things, about spiritual things. So what do you do from there? Well, from here, you need to make a spiritual assessment. Now, just like in a rescue, any kind of rescue, any um, kind of emergency, the person doing the rescuing has to make an assessment of the person and the situation. Like if a doctor had a patient coming to his office, the doctor has to ask the patient some questions to find out what's wrong, where is this person coming from? The paramedic who's coming up to the person who collapsed on the ground, that paramedic has to check for vital signs. Is the person breathing? Do they have a pulse? And that's the way it is spiritually too. Spiritually, I gotta see, where is this person coming from? What are their spiritual beliefs? Have they ever looked in the Bible? What are the big issues are going through in life right now? What's their deepest need that only the Lord can fill? And once you get to really know a person, once you get in, the in that place where you can really talk to them frankly about the gospel, well, how do you administer the gospel to them? 
Well, you have to be prepared. The fact is, um, all those um, rescuers I talked about, a paramedic, a firefighter, they train on a regular basis to make sure they're able to rescue somebody. I myself, I don't have to do it. Um, I've never been in a position where I have to give CPR, but every year I have to take CPR training, or every other year at least. And so with the gospel, it says in Ephesians that we need to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I need, I need to know how to share the gospel. And we don't have time to go over it in detail today, but there are plenty of ways to share the gospel. You can share the gospel by sharing your own testimony. You can share the gospel by going through a book like The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. And if anyone has questions on how to do that, you feel free to ask the elders or anyone else here who's been through that um, Stranger on the Road to Emmaus book. Now, just like any, um, just going back to the medical field too, once you get in the spot to possibly share the gospel with someone, you need consent to treat. So what do I mean by that? Well, going back to the physical rescue, in the physical world, even if there's a medical emergency and someone, say, needs an emergency surgery, the patient has to give consent for that treatment to take place. A doctor just can't go operate on a patient as needful as that person might be of surgery. The patient has to sign something saying, yes, I agree to be treated. I know it sounds kind of silly, but even in a medical emergency where someone's choking, you actually still need consent to treat. If someone's choking like this, I still have to go up to them and say, are you choking? Can I help you? And from there, you can go about doing the Heimlich maneuver. So spiritually, too, I need consent to treat. It might just be as simple as asking someone, you know, would you like to go through a Bible study with me and look at what the main message of the Bible is? Now, I've had, people, some, I've had some people say no, but some people say yes. But if you do try sharing the gospel with someone who is really not open to talking about spiritual things, you'll probably end up pushing them away. So it's good, you want to make sure this is an open door, that you have someone's permission to share the gospel with them. Okay, so I've spent some time talking about how to fulfill your mission. But I want to spend some time now also talking about what things prevent us from fulfilling the Great Commission. And there's actually a lot of things, a lot of things to watch out for. Now, probably the number one cause, this was from a survey taken, a survey taken of what makes a believer afraid to witness? What keeps you from doing something? What keeps you from being a rescuer? And probably the 95% reason was fear. And not fear of um, things like demons or Satan, nothing like that. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being awkward. We're afraid of offending someone. And the truth is, the gospel is offensive to people. Now, the gospel message, it's beautiful and simple. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4, it says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But before someone accepts the good news of salvation, they have to know the bad news. They have to accept the bad news that they are completely sinful, deserving of hell, and have no way to save themselves. And that's not something a lot of people want to hear. Now, people don't like hearing bad news. Going back to a physical example, let's take an example of someone where someone walks in the doctor's office and they have stage three cancer, something really life-threatening. Now, a good doctor doesn't hide the bad news from a patient. Now, if the patient hears that they have something seriously wrong, like stage three cancer, it's gonna hit them like a ton of bricks. It's gonna hurt. They're not gonna wanna hear that, but they need to hear that. In fact, if we had a doctor who would not say anything to the patient about the serious condition they were really in, we would say they're a bad doctor. That's that way in the spiritual realm too. The gospel has to be shared in its entirety. I can't withhold the bad news from my friend. Otherwise, I'm, not, I'm really not being a good friend to them. Another thing I think that stops us from sharing the gospel, I don't think we always realize just how desperate the situation is. Do I really believe in hell? Now, I've mentioned a number of times already what's going to happen to anyone who does not obey the gospel. They're going to hell for all eternity. Do I really know what that means? Do I really know how bad hell is? Let's take a look at hell. Let's turn to Luke chapter 16. We'll read verses 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in, fine, clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. 
nor can those from there pass to us. And he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house for five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now we look at, now this is a real account. This is not a parable. This is looking at someone who's really suffering now. Now we look at this rich man. He's in agonizing pain. He says, I am tormented in this flame. And elsewhere in the Bible, we know that it talks about the pain in hell, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever been in so much pain that you've been crying and screaming? Have you ever been in so much pain where you're just gritting your teeth, gnashing your teeth? Now, I can say I've only been in that kind of pain for very brief periods of time. I've seen people in the hospital sometimes, they're in that kind of pain for hours. They might be screaming from their hospital room for hours, just in that kind of pain. But just about always, there's some kind of relief for that pain. It might be a pain medication, it might be an emergency surgery, or it might just be time to heal, but there's always some kind of relief for that pain. but not in hell. In hell, a person is in constant pain, and there's no hope of relief. And there's no escape from hell. A person in hell is, is described as being bound hand and foot. And you see this rich man in hell, he doesn't even ask to be taken out of hell. He's no, he knows there's no chance. He just asks for his tongue to be cooled by Lazarus's moist fingertip, and that's all. To him, even that would be a relief. Now, some people think hell will be a place where they'll be able to see other people they've missed, that there'll be company in hell. But that's not what we see. We see hell described as a place of outer darkness. You can't see anything there, you can't see anyone there. And you know, this rich man in hell, he probably knew other people who were in hell. But you don't see him looking for comfort from them or seeking them out. He's just in pain. That's not just physical pain, too, that someone in hell is experiencing. There's also, also emotional pain. Have you ever thought about what a person in hell is thinking? Now, we'll use a little sanctified imagination here, but I would say a person in hell, they're not crying over the possessions they used to have. They're not missing the car they used to drive. They're not missing the house they used to live in. I can say when I've seen people who have wrecked their lives physically doing something, their thoughts are full of regret. A person with lung failure who's destroyed his lungs through a lifetime of smoking. 
And you could, you could look these people up. I mean, um, there was a person that died recently, um, Leonard Nimoy, played Spock on Star Trek. Now, he died of um, a lung disease, and he smoked for many years. But uh, towards the end of his life, he said, I wish I had never picked up smoking. And in fact, a lot of his last days were spent telling people, don't smoke. I read the account of a person recently who got paralyzed. He was a drunk driver. But after being, while he was driving one night drunk, he got thrown out of his car, and he ended up paralyzed from the waist down. And the thing that really stayed in his thoughts, as he put it thousands and thousands of times, he thought in his mind, if only, if only, if only I had not been drinking that night. So I don't think it's a far reach to say that in hell, a person will be thinking, if only I had, I had obeyed the gospel, if only all those times that God was trying to reach out to me, if only I had not shut him out, if only I hadn't been so hard-hearted, if only I hadn't been, if only I turned from my sins and turned to the Lord Jesus. So, as a believer, do I really believe in hell? Because if I really believe in hell, then I should not want anyone I know to go there. I shouldn't want anyone to go there. I should be doing all my power to prevent people from going there. Something else that keeps us from fulfilling our mission, I think we often don't see the urgency. Now, in a physical rescue, you know, time is of the essence. We saw in that video just there, if that firefighter had waited another minute, that man would have died there. I think sometimes, though, we get so busy with our jobs and the things of the world that we forget we're on a rescue mission. And we really don't know how much time we have. That unsaved person that I know needs to hear the gospel that, I have, that the Lord's placed on my heart, they may not be here tomorrow. And for that matter, I may not be here tomorrow. We tend to assume, well, I'm a healthy person, I'll have plenty of time to share the gospel. That may not be the case. How much time do you have? It's not just a matter of the person's time that needs, the person who needs being rescued. It's not just a matter of their, their clock ticking or your clock ticking. But I think the world's clock is ticking too. Now we live in a day and age where it's getting harder and harder to share the word of God openly. It wasn't that long ago, it was just a few weeks ago that the Supreme Court made a decision in favor of gay marriage. And I could see in times to come, that could just be the start of restrictions on free speech, restrictions on sharing your Bible with someone. The Lord Jesus said, he knew his time was short. He said in John chapter 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he made the most of every day of his three years of ministering. 
and drawing people to himself. I think sometimes we're afraid that someone has no interest in the gospel. Maybe we tried witnessing to them once, and they're not interested, so we give up. But does that happen in the physical world when someone's trying to rescue somebody? Like, how long do you think a paramedic tries to give CPR to a person who's collapsed on the ground? Anyone want to take a guess? Or, yeah, hopefully they can get to the hospital. Play die. Yeah, now the movies might give you a wrong perception of CPR. I mean, you see a movie, they're trying for like two minutes, and then they're a lost cause. But in real life, a paramedic, if they can't get someone to the hospital, they may be trying CPR for half an hour, an hour, sometimes more than that. So spiritually, just because I try sharing the gospel one time with someone, they, they're not interested, that doesn't mean I should make that my only attempt. I should keep praying for that person, keep praying for another opportunity, another chance. And really, it's ultimately the person's choice to, be, to obey the gospel or not, to be saved or not. Now, just like in the physical world, people actually can choose not to be rescued. Sometimes I've come across patients, um, they really need help, and the doctors are doing all they can to convince them, please stay at the hospital, we can treat this, and you'll be fine afterwards. But sometimes people leave what's called AMA. AMA stands for Against Medical Advice. People, know that people have come to the hospital, they really need help, but they choose to leave. That can be that way spiritually too. You can try and share the gospel with someone, try and show them that they're a sinner in need of salvation, but they can choose to reject that truth. What's important though is, though, is that I try, that I've tried, that you have fulfilled your duty as a rescuer. Because what if you didn't try? What if you saw a person who was perfectly capable of helping someone in need and just passed them by? Now, we would think of that passerby, wait, why didn't you do something? Didn't you care? But I have to ask myself that question. Have I ever passed by someone who has some deep spiritual need? Did I ever pass someone by myself? The fact is the Lord holds us accountable as believers if we do nothing to help the people who are around us. I'm going to share another passage. This is from Ezekiel, chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Now, it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. And if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, 
he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now the prophet Ezekiel, he was set as a watchman over the nation of Israel. But we can really apply those verses to ourselves too, because the fact is, the Lord has set you as a watchman in the lives of the people you're close to, to warn them of the danger they're in. And if I do nothing to warn those around me, I'm guilty of their blood. Now, for a lot of this message, I've been emphasizing our responsibility to be rescuers. But I don't want to, I want to put all things in the proper perspective. I want to emphasize, too, that the responsibility is not all on you. The fact is, salvation is of the Lord. And when you're trying to share the gospel with someone, you're working alongside with the Lord and trying to rescue someone spiritually. There's a good reason why the Lord Jesus, when given the Great Commission, he says in Matthew 28, I am with you even to the end of the age. Without the Lord, this would be an impossible mission. In fact, the disciples at one point, um, they see how hard it is for people to be saved. And they ask at one point, you know, who then can be saved? And the Lord tells them, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. And I don't want to make all of you feel overwhelmed. I know many of us here are, are stretched very thin. Sometimes it seems like it takes all we can just to hold things together in our own lives. A lot of us are busy with work, with school. A lot of us have um, our own health problems, our own family problems, personal problems. And you think, well, how can I have time to worry about someone else's problems? But the fact is, the Lord will provide. You may be short on time. You may be short on energy and strength, but the Lord will provide you that time, energy, and strength you need if you want to rescue someone spiritually. Maybe you're on the more shy side. Maybe you're kind of timid. You find it hard to talk to people. How can I share the gospel with someone if I'm so shy and don't know what to say? But the fact is, the Lord will show you what to say. He'll provide you the words to speak. And by the way, No one says you have to be a Lone Ranger rescuer. You don't have to be that one person who's trying to give CPR to that helpless person. The fact is, um, a lot of rescues work better with more than one person. Now, a lot of us have been taught in uh, CPR in school, we're taught how to be a sole rescuer, how to be that, um, if I'm on the scene alone, how to give CPR to somebody. But the fact is, CPR works better with two or more people. You got one person doing rescue breathing, one person giving chest compressions. And it's like that spiritually, too. You don't have to be the only one trying to share the gospel with someone. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need an older brother or sister to come alongside you to ask help from them. Hey, how, can you give me some help on how can I share the gospel with my friend? The fact is, if you heard anyone's testimony, a lot of times there's more than one person involved in someone's testimony. 
you know, I can say for myself, there are at least um, uh, two or three key people that helped lead me to the Lord, not just one person. Now, of course, this, this kind of the mission I mentioned for this, for this whole message, it, can't succeed, it cannot succeed without prayer. Now, I'd like to actually end this meeting in a little bit of prayer. I'm going to pass out a note card to everyone here. Thank you, Matt. Now, on this card, I'd like you to write the names of three people. Three people that you know. They could be coworkers. They could be neighbors. They could be family that are not saved. Does anyone here need a pen? We all have pens, okay. So next couple minutes, let's take a moment, write down three names of people that you have on your heart that you would like to see saved. I pray the Lord would put in them a seeking heart, that there would be an open door for the gospel for these people, that you would have that opportunity. I pray the Lord might be already working in their heart. And I'd like to challenge you here, let's not just pray for them today. I'd like to challenge you this month to pray for them every day for this whole month and see how the Lord provides. Let's just take a couple minutes. You can pray silently for a couple minutes. Lord, we do thank you for the people you placed in our lives, and Lord, we want to have a good testimony for them, and Lord, we desire for that chance to have the chance to share the gospel with them, and we do pray for the salvation of souls, of the people in our lives, and Lord, we pray that you would help us this week, just help us this month, the rest of the time we're on earth, to keep the mission you've placed, you've given us, to keep that in our mind as a high priority. Lord, we do pray these things in Jesus' name.